You remember ever being a little kid and hugging the leg of someone you thought was your dad or mom, but then upon a few moments, maybe a minute or two, you look up and then you realize that is not your dad or mom. It has to be one of the strangest interactions to experience or certainly to witness as well. When you don't know the person, right, there's so much insecurity. Just think of that moment when they realize that, whoa, I'm not hugging my mom or dad. There's so much insecurity right there in that moment, all in the face of the kid. Rightly so, with that insecurity, you're hugging the leg of a stranger like you would hug your favorite tree that you would climb. And then that kid looks up as in, in total confusion until he finds his father. And then he runs to his father or mother and then clings to his or her leg for that security, for that openness, for that comfort. Knowing the identity of the person makes all the difference, doesn't it? Makes all the difference in the world in the openness of the child and in the security of the child. Well, friends, so it is with Jesus. Knowing his true identity leads to this openness and this rest and this security of all sinners who would turn from their sin and believe upon Him. For our passage today in Acts chapter 3, I invite you to turn there with me now, we are helped to understand the identity of Jesus Christ. And we see that Jesus Christ is none other than God's chosen servant. Who is Jesus? He is Jesus, the Christ, God's chosen servant. That's the main idea today. Jesus Christ, God's chosen servant. And we are, in fact, called to turn towards him for salvation, to cling to him and find rest for our souls. Jesus is God's chosen servant, and we are called to turn to him for salvation. Acts chapter 3, go ahead and look there. I'll start in verse 11. I'll read the whole thing now, and then we'll visit different phrases as we go along. Uh, Look there, Acts chapter 3, verse 11. Now keep in mind, right, we're picking up off of what came before. Peter, the apostle, has been charged by Jesus, along with all the the other apostles, to preach the gospel. And also, some were given the ability to heal people on the authority of Jesus. They go to the temple to worship. There's a a man who is lame from birth. He's lying there begging, and he, he asks for alms. He asks for benevolence, and Peter heals him. And in a moment, in a word, he gets up, He walks, he leaps, he heads towards the temple with the apostles to praise God. And then we see Peter here explain to everybody what's going on. Look there, verse 11. While he, that is the begging man, who the the lame beggar who was healed, while he clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to to them in the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people, Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses, and his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given this man this perfect health in the presence of you all. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that as Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. 
Repent, therefore, and turn back that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until, this, until the time for restoring all things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Moses said, The Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your brothers. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you. And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. And all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those who came after him also proclaimed these days, You are the sons of the prophets of the covenant and of the covenant that God made with your father, saying to Abraham, And in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. Fascinating section here as Peter, to repeat a phrase from last time, goes from healing to then homily. And here you see that it's so clear that he wants us to get the identity of Jesus the identity of Jesus. See, in some ways, this is a continuation, right, from the book of Luke, the gospel of Luke, where Luke there is writing and recording a detailed history about who this Jesus is. Luke records the ministry of Jesus throughout his time on earth. And then, the, and then, and then Acts here speaks about the ministry of Jesus, the resurrected Christ, as he works through his apostles by the power of the Spirit to build his church. He's clarifying, clarifying for everybody right here in this passage who this guy is that is at work. Who is this person? Who is this Christ? He is God's chosen servant. This is point number one here. We're going to get to point number one. This is it. Who is Jesus Christ? He is God's chosen servant. Again, where the passage picks up here is a continuation on from last week. And in verses 11 and 12, like go ahead and look there. When I say look at verses 11 and 12, I actually go ahead and look there. You see a lot of surprise and wonder comes over the people. The folks in the crowd, they knew that this healed guy who was here walking and leaping and praising God, it's the same guy who was at the temple gates, who was crippled, lame from birth, begging for money. Eventually, there's such a commotion that as they head into the temple, there's this huge commotion. They move back out to the outskirts of the temple in this, the outer court, Solomon's portico, open to everybody, Jew, Gentile, male, female, everybody is there. Perfect place for Peter to give this speech about who this Jesus is. And with all the people gathered in wonder, Peter proclaims here, Men of Israel, of course he's not excluding women here. Men just refers to everybody there. Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Why do you stare at us as though by our own power and piety we have made him walk? One commentator said this was such a useful deflection here. The people there are coming to wonder, what about them made them do this? What power and authority do they have? He says, no, it's not by us. Not by our power, power or piety do we do this. Instead, he deflects their attention to God. Verse 16. You see there that this is none other than Jesus Christ who is at work. That's the one that he points them to. Not us, but, but in verse 16 there, his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong whom you see and know in the faith that is through Jesus has given this man the perfect health in the presence of you all. Clearly, the one who is at work is not the apostles. But the Christ of the apostles, the Christ who charged the apostles, who equipped and empowered the apostles by the Spirit to go ahead and heal and also to preach the good news of Jesus. Christ is the one who has the power to heal not only the body, more importantly, the soul. 
But in this summary here that Luke offers us, presumably, right, Peter said more than what I read. Otherwise, his speech would have been done in like two minutes. Uh, As it's summarized here by Luke, he builds up to Jesus, right? He builds up. He's working towards getting to Christ. And the way that these men of Israel would have heard this, they very much would have understood what he's talking about. Actually, all the points of the speech, throughout the speech, he's referring to the Old Testament and Christ, the fulfillment of it. He starts there with the Lord, God of the Old Testament. Right? They were Israelites steeped in the Old Testament. Much of their cultural forms were based on the God-given Old Testament. Especially the temple, right? They're there to worship the Lord at, at the temple. Of course, the temple and the instructions of how to worship God in the temple. That was given to, the plans were given to the people of God in the Old Testament. And look where Peter goes in the Old Testament. He brings up, actually, the very first book of the Old Testament, Genesis. You look there in verse 13, right? He says, the God of Abraham, right? He's like, he backs up. Let me me back up for you guys, men of Israel. Let's back up to Yahweh in the Old Testament. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers. I mean, to speak of Genesis... What do you think would, be, would have been going through those people's minds? I mean, you got, many of you guys know the contents of Genesis. And you guys, as Christians who are of faith in Jesus, you know what is in the Old Testament, what is in Genesis. We are all children of Abraham if we share the same faith as Abraham. What would come to your mind if you're hearing about this God of our Father's language? It would have reminded them of the all-sovereign and powerful God. God who is creator over us. God who, is always, God who is also with us, as we see in the covenants. Genesis chapter 12 speaks of how God drew near to Abraham, pagan man and pagan land, and yet he reveals himself to him and, and, and gives him these various promises that from him one will be a blessing to the world, that Abraham himself would be a blessing to the world one day, that they would, the people of Abraham, inherit a land, and that God would make them a great people, numerous Abraham, their great father, right? he believed in God, and God got to work. And though Abraham and Isaac and Jacob wrestled with their own sin, right, we see in the Old Testament that God was nevertheless faithful to his covenant promises down into the generations, growing a people, that is Old Testament Israel, bringing them into a land. But at the close of the Old Testament, they were still anticipating God's servant who would bless the world. And then look there at verse 22. Look there at verse 22. The Israelites were also anticipating the prophet of prophets who would be like Moses, as it says there. The one to whom everyone, to every Israelite must go to and listen to. By the close of the Old Testament era, the people of Israel, as the heirs of the prophets, as our passage mentions, heirs of the covenant promises, they were still waiting, still anticipating. But then Peter, he just unloads completely here. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, right? What has he done? He has glorified his servant, Jesus. There's identity, guys. That's identity. His servant, Jesus. The phrase is just absolutely jam-packed with significance. Your ears, if you're an Israelite, or for us as Christians too, our, our ears would have perked up because we know what's coming it's kind of like maybe what, when some of you guys might mention where you're going to, to lunch today. We're going to King Taco, for example, and your ears would perk up. It's a silly example, but you know what happens. What would happen here to, to hear his servant, Jesus. 
Probably the most famous passage in your Bibles that speaks of God's servant is, do you guys know what? Take a guess. It's Isaiah 52, Isaiah 52, and Isaiah 53. Now there are uh, a handful, just under a handful of servant songs, they're called, in Isaiah that speaks of what God would do through his specific servant. And Isaiah 52, 53 is, I think, the most famous one. Uh, let me just read to you 53, 4 through 6. Just listen to this, and if you could if you turn there, even better. It says this, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was a chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Interesting to pay attention there. You see all of that. Who is he speaking of? It's a prophecy of Jesus the Christ, the Messiah, the chosen servant. This was written 700 years before Jesus even came to die on the cross for the sins of his people. Now listen, listen to 52.13. Listen to 52.13. And let's see how the, the beginning of the servant song begins. It starts there, 52.13. Behold, my servant, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted. My servant exalted. 700 years before Jesus came. And here's Peter standing before this crowd explaining that his servant Jesus Christ has been raised from the dead. My servant, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus in raising him from the dead. And notice he's not called a servant. He's called his servant. The Lord's servant. Spoken of from long ago. And though God had kept hidden and veiled his full identity, it has now been revealed so that all who turn to him would experience life, freedom from sin, and judgment by, because of, because of the fact that he was pierced for our transgressions and crushed for our iniquities. You know, to put ourselves in their perspective, just imagine right, them hearing Peter preach this, this speech here, give this speech we hope that for some, they would begin to think a little bit differently about their participation in the events of the day, right? Like two months ago, some of these Israelites, some of these Jews had called for Jesus' execution on the cross that Passover weekend. We hope that for some, they may, their wonder over the miraculous healing turned into actually wondering whether they, as heirs of the covenant of God had actually set their faces against God and His chosen servant. Maybe in that moment they wondered, if Jesus really is God's servant, how, how could we have denied Him? How could anyone deny Yahweh's servant? This brings us to point number two. Point number two, how could anyone deny God's servant? The Jews certainly did. You look there at 13 and 15. Look there, 13 and 15. And we see just how they denied it. We see like this list of sins. And Peter, by the way, does not pull any punches here. He's ultra clear in pointing out their sin. What exactly did they do? Look there in verse 13. They were guilty of delivering over and denying God's servant. And then in verse 15, you see there, they killed God's servant, the author of life, by crucifying him. 
So instead of recognizing Jesus as God's servant come to take away their sins and to deliver them, they delivered him over to destruction. Instead of joyously embracing Jesus as the Prince of Peace and then entrusting themselves to Him who is holy and righteous, the holy and righteous one, our passage says, they deny Him. They disown Him. They discard with Him, thinking in their own proud minds that He should be dealt with just like a despicable criminal. Actually, He was worse in their minds than a despicable criminal. When Pontius Pilate determined that Jesus was innocent, he left the judgment nevertheless up to the people there. They, he, he let them determine who would die and who would live. Pilate brought out this insurrectionist and murderer, a man named Barabbas, and he let the people choose who would live and who would die. That's in Luke 23. And they chose that the murderer would live and that God's servant would die. They chose to see a murderer freed. Because it could not stand to have the author of life live. And so they killed him. Him who is the fulfillment of God's promises. The offspring, as our pastor says, to bless the world. The prophet of prophets. We hope again in their perspective that they were convicted of their rejection of Jesus and their killing of him. Especially there at the end of Peter's speech, right? Consider the cost of, the, of rejecting the author of life, the holy one, the righteous one. Look there, verse 22. Moses said, the Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him and whatever he tells you. And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. They may have tried to destroy God's servant, but God raised him back up to life. They may have tried to destroy God's servant, but it is they who would be destroyed in judgment if they did not turn from their sin. They killed the one sent of God to bless God's people by turning their hearts from their sin. You know, in light of the people's sin here, in the light of the sins of the people that led up to the crucifixion, we ought to be amazed at God's great love for sinners. We ought to be amazed at God's great love for sinners here. I mean, think about what we learn about God for a moment. Think about what we learn about God for a moment here from this passage. Think of God's determination and His faithfulness to His love and His own character to give, the promises, to give His promises to the people and then to fulfill them in Jesus and all to sinners who have no appreciation. Right? They have no appreciation for Him. It's one thing to sacrifice of yourself. You guys know this. It's one thing to sacrifice of yourself for those who have appreciation for you. But for Christ, there was no appreciation given. Yet, out of love, he gave himself for those who spilled his very blood to snuff out his life. For the joy set before Jesus, he gave his blood so that all who would ever turn from their sin would have life. What a different spirit than ours, isn't it? What a different spirit than ours. I mean, just consider how fickle your love is, how dependent your love is upon your own mood, and the day and the amount of sleep that you did or did not get, and the food you did not eat. Not God's love. God's love is faithful here. The author of life chooses to die, so those condemned in his sight who turned from their sins, would in fact live. 
At every single moment, even right here as Peter preaches this gospel, God is extending his love through Christ to offer a sinful and rebellious people the opportunity to live. What steadfast love, what compassion as he pledges his love to sinners and then fulfills it in Jesus Christ. If you're visiting with us, know yourself to be exploring Christianity. This here is God's great love for sinners. God's love moves him to pursue the very ones who rejected him. The Bible certainly says that everybody, all of us have rejected the author of life. We've all rebelled against the one holy and righteous king and creator. We have all denied him in all sorts of ways. So think about this here. Christ, it says, is the author of life. Colossians 1 says that all things were made through him, all things were made for him. So if we in our lives, right, if we live while denying that he is in fact the author of my life, that has all authority and claim and authorship of my life, right, that's an absolute denial of the glory that he deserves. Absolute denial. For you guys, right, if, if you live your life for your own glory, that here is a denial of Christ the Lord and Savior. For us to use the Lord's things, right? Think about his created people, all the gifts that he gives you, even the money that you have, even the breath that you have. If you use that for your own end as if you are king, that too is sin. For us to worship other things, to give away his glory to other things, that too is sin, worthy of judgment. But despite all of man's continual abandonment, God is faithful to his promises. Not wanting to any, any to perish, right? He pursues that is your creator's love for the creation. In fact, friends, you realize that that's your creator's love for you as one of his human beings? I mean, he's so determined that his people know him and experience his blessing, blessing upon blessing, that he sends his eternal son so that all will see and behold and be confronted with the fact that he is the holy, the righteous one, the author of life, the sovereign king. What he has pledged, he will accomplish because he is absolutely faithful and committed to his covenant, to his covenant people, despite their unfaithfulness. You see how his love is so faithful. In the incarnation, Christ leaves the glory that was his and takes on the flesh of sinful man. But he did not sin as the righteous one. In his crucifixion, he maintained his heart of love for sinners at every single step of the way freely giving himself to suffer at the hands of sinful flesh. And where he deserved to be crowned and rowed with the glory of the heavens, he gives himself to be nailed to a criminal's cross, crowned with thorns, raised up so all might mock and jeer at him. And though he alone is the holy and righteous one, he gives himself over to be killed as a criminal. All that... All of that, so that he would be the sacrificial lamb for his people, as a substitute bearing the sin and the wrath of God that they, that we, rightly deserve. So that, again, all who turn to him would know him to be Savior and Lord. That's, that, friends, right there is the good news of Jesus Christ. It's that sinners can be forgiven of their sin and restored to their maker. If they repent of their sins and turn to him, they will be reconciled, forgiven of their sin, and be reconciled with God, their creator. This brings us to point number three. Point number three, given Christ is God's chosen servant, that's point number one, and given we have all denied him, point number two, why would we not repent and receive God's blessings in Christ? 
This is point number three. Why would we not repent and receive God's blessings in Jesus Christ? Notice that Peter clearly holds out not just judgment, but also the blessings of Jesus. Look at 17 to 22. 17 to 22. Look there. We see first this very clear call to repentance. Right? They acted in ignorance. He's not excusing their sin. It just means they acted without knowledge, still guilty of their sin. They didn't know the full identity of Jesus. That's why Jesus is right there. That's why he came to reveal himself. That's why Peter is preaching and explaining. They acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of the prophets, that as Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. 19, repent! Turn from your sin. That's what it means. Turn from your sin. Thank God that even though their sin is so clear, right, what they did, Peter holds out an equally clear solution. Turn from your sins and you will receive the blessings of Christ. Do you see right there the result, the blessing, the results that come from turning to Christ? Just go ahead and look at it there. Look there at 1920. What are the three blessings of Jesus Christ? Like actually look at it. Each phrase starts with a that. Repent, that, one, two, three. First thing, the first blessing there, forgiveness of sins, that your sins may be blotted out or wiped away. I mean, there stands Jesus right there to be a blessing to the people, even though they've sinned. We see this manifestation of God's great love. He stands there saying, look, repent of your sins and you will be saved. Your sins will be blotted out all by God's initiative. God here, again, we're reminded that God reaches out to his offenders and his enemies to grant them peace. He's reached out so that sin and judgment that follows it would be no more. Of course, implied in this would be a restoration to the author of life. That we would no longer, that our relationship would no longer be marked by a hostility against him, but love and peace and adoration and praise. I mean, this is what happens when God restores the soul. When he removes our hearts of stone and gives us hearts of flesh. For those who know God, for you who know God, you who were separated from God by your sin, worthy of judgment, he restores you to himself so that you might enjoy our new relationship and that times of refreshment might come. This is the second blessing, the second blessing that Jesus Christ holds out to sinners, times of refreshing in the presence of God. Christian, you guys know this, right? This is the, the relief. This is the joy. This is the rest that comes from you knowing your Savior. It's the joy of living in a loving relationship with the God of life. It's the joy of doing His will, of living underneath Him and with Him and then for Him, just as He designed us to. And then what's the third blessing here? We got forgiveness of sins. We have times of refreshment. Number three, the hope of end time salvation, that He may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus. This is like times of refreshment here to the full at Christ's return. Just as God's servant was the one who was, who was prophesied to come, he is the one who was prophesied to come in the future as well. He had come, and so now here he will come, all by God's will. And at that point in time, he brings his kingdom to fulfillment. Not now, but future. Verse 20, look there. For this time, heaven must receive him, right? He ascended to heaven. Heaven must receive him until, until the time for restoring all things has come. But those who are his people possess the sure hope of knowing that one day Christ will return to restore all things to consummation. He will bring all things to consummation. He will make all things new, bringing full renewal. And on that day, we will have the fullest of refreshment in Christ the Lord 
who makes all things new. Why would we not repent? Why would we not turn from our sins? Why would you? Why would we all want to carry them on our own? We can't wipe our own guilt away, right? That guilt of the conscience that we all know. As we look back and consider all of the ways in which we might have messed up our lives and sinned against God and ourselves and against one another. You who have tried to manage that guilt on your own. How's that going for you? You know that you even trying to take on that guilt yourself manifests itself in all sorts of ways in your body physically? It could look like anxiety. It could look like anger. It could look like personal chaos in someone's personal life. You who are chased day and night by your own shame over what you have done in the past. I mean, aren't you tired? Aren't we tired of running from the guilt and shame that our sins and rejection of God the Creator has caused? And friends, you realize that even if you could somehow find the energy on drugs, on meth, or whatever it is, on whatever high you have, a high of getting rich, even if you somehow find energy to run until your death, God still says that you are going to face judgment. Christ is, in fact, the author and the judge of life. And so you see here, why would you not turn from your sin and then to Christ the Savior, knowing that he is the one who holds out forgiveness of sins, refreshment in the presence of the Lord, relationship with the presence of, in the presence of the Lord, and the hope of eternal life. As Christ himself says in John 14, chapter, six, or John chapter 14, verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Christian, as we think about this and reflect here, praise the Lord, and in his grace he has opened our eyes so that we would know what it actually means to have our sins be blotted out and wiped away. And though we might not experience the joy of the Lord to the fullest, right, the fruit of the Spirit to the fullest, the little bit that we do in fact know is true. And it's a little sign. That joy that you experience, friends, in Jesus Christ by the power of the Spirit is a little sign of the full joy and the peace and the love that we will experience one day when full refreshment comes in the return of Jesus Christ. Though you were rebellious and hostile against Him, Jesus nevertheless pursued you in your hostility and in your rebellion every single moment of it so that He would bring you back, forgiving you in every single step of it. No matter how difficult it might be, praise God that He's opened our eyes and that even as an extension of His love, He has sent the people in your past to share that gospel with you. He has sent me here today to share this gospel with you and to have hope again, hope anew in the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, the author of life, the holy and righteous one, God's servant who was crushed and pierced and destroyed. But, praise God, God raised Him up and exalted him, and glorified him. To conclude here, who is the Christ? Who is the Christ that we have the opportunity to run towards and to cling to, to experience such joy and peace and forgiveness of him, with him? He is God's servant, the Savior of the world, the fulfillment of all of God's promises. 
and for those who receive God's love in Christ through faith in His name. Not by any works, but through faith in His name. We are forgiven and saved. We become inheritors of all of the blessings of Jesus as His children. And of course we could, right? He is, after all, God's chosen servant sent to save us from our sins. He is the holy and righteous one who alone has the power to pardon and the love to forgive. He is the author of life who has all power to destroy and the power to give new life. Friends, with Jesus holding out these blessings in his name, why would you not repent and turn to him? And for you Christians, even if you're holding on to some sin, with this Jesus right here, standing before you, holding out forgiveness of sin, refreshment in his name, and a future hope of eternal life, why would you not let go of that sin? Repent of your sin and believe, and you will be saved. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, Lord, we thank you for being the God of love. We see your love in so many different ways. As we consider salvation, we see the love of Jesus in the incarnation, in his righteous life, in his death on the cross as he bore the wrath that we deserved. We see your love in raising him from the dead. We see, Christ, your love as you even intercede for us, even right now. Affirming the truth spoken of here according to your word. Affirming even our prayers, taking them. Speaking them to the Father as if they were your own. And so, God, we know that we, have been, we are recipients of your great love to us. Jesus, you are a magnificent, wonderful Savior. We thank you, Lord, that even in the act of warning us, as you do here in this passage, even in holding out forgiveness and refreshment and eternal life, Lord, all of these things are evidences of your great love for us. Lord, we pray that repentance would indeed be uh, a mark of us as your people, that we would so freely repent of our sins and confess our sins, knowing that you already have paid for them. And so just as a father desires his children to come to him in their weakness and in their mistakes and in their failures and in their sins, we know, Lord, that you are the same. You are that to the full. So, Lord, we pray that we indeed would take advantage of you and your character because that is exactly what you hold out to us. Blessing upon blessing upon blessing. In your name we pray these things. Amen.